Hey, everyone. Welcome to my show, my so-called fabulous. I'm Tiffany. Welcome, welcome, everyone, to our third week of our series of breast cancer awareness. Here we are in October, and we have brought you Dr. Kent talking to you about all about you know, the diagnosis of breast cancer and survival and all those statistics. And then two fabulous survivors. Thank you, survivors throughout the world. And today we are talking about a very important topic. I mean, across the board, but especially with breast cancer and any type of cancer, I'm bringing to you back to the show, Dr. Celeste Holbrook. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Tiffany. I'm delighted to be here. And this is a really important topic. And I'm really glad that you see the need to talk about intimacy and sex, you know, during and after cancer diagnosis and treatment. It's so important. Yes, absolutely it is. And Celeste came to us on episode number 59, and that was redefining sex. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, everyone, and 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 you know it if you've followed me, we um we had that particular episode, and you know, you know, I was I was a little nervous, sure. you know, being on or off brand, new to this, um, but we found out you were by far the number one downloaded show. <laughs> But nobody told me that they were listening to the show. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so yep. we took it upon ourselves to repeat it and re-release it this summer. So again, more downloads. It was fabulous. And um, it was just telling me a plethora of things. People don't always talk. Right. And you told me that too. Um, there's shame involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and there shouldn't be shame involved. Yeah. And what we are doing here today is you're a sexologist. Mm-hmm. Please go back to, to episode 59 and totally get, uh, you'll, you'll see her bio and you can tell us a little bit about yourself. But um, we are talking about sex after cancer. Yeah. And it's a thing, right? It is a thing. And what I love, Tiffany, just to, to kind of brag on your podcast, because my mission in life is to provide safe spaces for people to talk about sex. And this is what you do, right? On your podcast, you're bringing us subjects and you're bringing us content that um, helps us move and grow forward in our life. And sometimes that content is sensitive. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a hard thing to talk about. And so what I love about podcasting is that you can just listen in on, you know, in your earbuds mm-hmm. and you're not writing, you know, reading a whole book about sex on the train or something right. like that. And you can really learn a lot about sensitive subjects in the kind of privacy of, of audio. Right? right. And so you are doing that. You are providing safe spaces for people to learn and grow about their sexuality. And I think it's so important that you have, you know, had this subject back when you're talking about cancer diagnosis and treatment, because so often what I see with my clients um, who have gone through cancer or are in the process of, you know, treatment for cancer is, you know, so much focus is on surviving, which it should be right. Mm -hmm. So much focus is on surviving that sometimes we get to the other side and say, I've lost a big part of my sexuality and my intimacy and my pleasure, but I should be okay with that. Right. Because I did survive this hugely traumatic thing. And I, I would like to suggest that, no, you don't need to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. Like there are things that you can do to, you know, reignite that pleasure and to um, enhance your sexuality after cancer. So I think that's what we're, the, what we can talk about today is one, 
validate that it's okay to want more out of your sex life, even after cancer, right? It's totally okay. That's valid. We want you to thrive, not just exactly. survive. Exactly. <laughs> that was about to say that. Yeah. Thrive. Not only survive, but thrive. Yeah. What's, you know, kind of you, you want to get through those hard times so that you can have the pleasure and the joy and the ease again, right? Again, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and I, praise, praise the Lord, I do not have experience with this myself. Right. Um, who knows, you know, but um, I do have friends that have gone through this that have no desire any longer. Is that, is that a symptom of cancer or is that a mental or is it emotional or can, is everyone different? Everyone is different and arousal in and of itself is uh, nuanced, right? Arousal um, is when you're getting feeling like you want to have sex, right? That's the definition of arousal, but it is something that happens in your brain and then your body sometimes or sometimes does not respond. So a lot of times it is, you know, catapulted by the intense treatment that you're doing, right? Chemotherapy can often put you in early menopause. It messes with your hormones and all of those things. And we had, you know, you had Dr. Kent talking about some of those Mm -hmm. things um, earlier on this month. But when you have those things happen, then, you know, desire or drive or arousal can lower for sure, along with just your environment, right? If we think about how responsibility is the biggest killer of arousal, then we can understand that when you're working so hard to manage treatment or to, you know, survive um, cancer, that responsibility to your health becomes paramount Mm -hmm. and it becomes intense. And that responsibility can often kill the eroticism and the ease and the playfulness Mm -hmm. of arousal. And so it makes sense that it happens. It's not categorically simply because of treatment or categorically because of, you know, a mental state. It is complicated. Right. Exactly. When my mother, um, she had cancer and she's deceased and she was an MD Anderson. I mean, she was, I mean, it was, I mean, down to, I mean, the end of her life. And, um, she was so angry. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. understandably so. I mean, I, I can't even imagine. And she was young, uh, yeah. young 61, possibly. Um, and I blocked that all out of my mind. I think I've talked to you about that before. But um, it, I just can't even imagine that being on her mind, you know, like sex being on her mind right. at that phase. Because she did go for two years and then went into remission and then it came back. So, um I remember her telling me, I don't feel attractive. I don't, I mean, she lost her hair. She lost all of her teeth. I mean, she, I mean, it was a horrible experience. So having that, I can't, and of course, I'm from that purity, remind me. Right, purity culture, upbringing. Catholic. (laughs) We just certainly didn't talk about that. But I remember her saying to me, I just don't feel tiff. I don't feel pretty. Yeah. Which we know what that means. We know there was more to that. Right. So, um, gosh, and I say this and I get teared up. But anyway, so, um. Yes. So I would imagine what, going back to what you said originally, um, I survived. I should be thankful. What, I mean, gosh, I've been given my life back. Why would I want any pleasure? So help us through how you teach your clients and your patients to go through that or how to, I mean, you have, I mean, your job is you're a sexologist, but Mm -hmm. I mean, my goodness, you, I mean, the, what you have to go through yourself to break through to your clients. So tell me about that. Yeah, I think it's helpful, first of all, to validate our own 
um, experience, like if you are going through a cancer diagnosis and treatment and you really do not want to get naked or you do not want to have intimacy with your partner in that way, sexual intimacy, validate that experience for yourself, right? It's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay not to want to have sex. It's, it really truly is okay. If we think about intimacy as a large umbrella, sex is a piece of intimacy. It is not the only way in which we connect and sex can be really broadly defined. You know, we, we tend to have a very, you know, heteronormative male centered view of sex, but you can broadly define sex. Maybe sex is us having a, a walk in the woods, holding hands, you mm -hmm. know, we can really broadly define it. So if, you know, getting naked and exchanging fluids is not your idea mm -hmm. of intimacy in this moment, that is okay. We have to make it okay. We, we live in the society where we, um, think that sex is the end all and be all of intimacy. And it just is not right. You can have a lot of intimacy, you know, planning, a planning a trip together with your partner, eating waffles on the porch. There's lots of ways mm -hmm. to experience intimacy. So first validating if sex isn't something that you even want to try to engage in right now, because you're going through a lot that is okay. <laughs> it's okay. It yeah. is okay. It is okay. Yeah. And how do you, okay, the partner, mm -hmm. we are, we're talking about breast cancer, but, and not even obviously the man, the male, how do you teach your clients that it, to not be afraid? Does that make sense? Like if I had cancer, mm -hmm. I think my husband would be afraid. Like, am I yeah. going to touch? Am I going to hurt you? I'm going to yes. break you. Are we going to push this thing back? I mean, just the lack of information of cancer. I mean, because if it hit my family right now, I would just go, I mean, well, my husband or I, wild, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's a really common thing that sometimes we don't think about when, if you haven't experienced cancer, a really common thing is for partners to feel nervous about hurting my partner or, you know, making things worse or whatever. Um, so one of the things that I have all couples do that come in, but can be very helpful for couples that going through cancer diagnosis and treatment is to really get focused on what you want to feel in sex. And we talked about this in our last podcast too, but it's so helpful. Um, so writing down my dream sexual experience would feel like, and then getting down to the emotions of what do you want to feel because some behaviors might not be available to you anymore or right now. And so if you think about what you want to feel in sex, then you can build behaviors that help you feel those things. So for example, if I wrote down my dream sexual experience would feel erotic, it would feel um, calm, it would feel connective, it would feel pleasurable, right? So maybe mm -hmm. four, four or so words. Then you can start to say, well, what helps me feel connected? Well, to be honest, you know, having a conversation with you in bed helps me feel connected to you really. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, feeling erotic is, you know, me having my favorite lingerie, right. We, we going shop, we're going shopping together. We get lingerie together. That helps me feel erotic. It doesn't have to be all, you know, always specific sex acts. So if you start with what you want to feel, then when certain sex acts may be off the table for now or for a long time, you can still feel what you want to feel, even though the 
act changes. And so, you know, in our last time together, we talked about redefining sex. This is very important when you're going through any health issues or menopause or, you know, cancer diagnosis and treatment, redefining and renegotiating um, sex can feel, can be really helpful. And so to answer your question about, you know, partners feeling okay, um, that they're not going to hurt their partner who's going through cancer diagnosis and treatment, um, really starting with that emotion and then start having conversations behind that. Like, you know, we used to start sex with breast massage. That's like a very common sexual script that a lot of people have is my partner reaches over and, you know, starts to massage and, you know, comes over to my breast. And that's a way that I know that my partner is interested. Right. But when you've had a double mastectomy now, how does sex begin? (laughs) Right. Um, and so having those conversations of, I want to feel erotic. I no longer have breast tissue. So how do we navigate this feeling of eroticism, even though I no longer have breast tissue? Well, here's the touches that do feel really good for me still. I don't really want you to touch my chest right now, but I really love it when you stroke the back of my neck or when you stroke the inner parts of my thighs or things like that. So, um, the importance of communication between that, those two people become much more, um, of a, of a need of Mm -hmm. a necessity. Necessity. Yeah. When you're talking about renegotiating sex. So understanding that, you know, I, I'm okay with you touching me here. This is not as comfortable for me anymore. You know, that communication of what feels good, what doesn't feel good, um, is so much more important, especially when you have a partner who might be nervous about what I can do and what I can't do. Right. Right. Um, and this hit me just all of a sudden because I have listeners from all over the world, literally. You can help people virtually, right? Yes. Oh, of course. Yeah. Right? All of my clients are virtual at this They're point. They're all yeah. virtual. Mm-hmm. Thank you, COVID. <laughs> We're still talking about COVID. Oh, my I goodness. I know. I know. So, Okay. So back to the breast cancer. That makes sense because you may have lost one or both. Right. And for women... Um, I, I definitely think in my earlier years... I, now I don't know because I haven't gone through this, but it was, um, it was definitely uh, breasts were important to me. Yeah. Identity. I'm not sure any longer, not that it's any longer, but the size The if I had to have a mastectomy for my, it's easy for me to say right now, again, I would understand medically that's what I needed to do and then discuss the reconstruction. And and we certainly talked about that with our survivors, but, but when there's not reconstruction again, there, you, they have to go through the same thing of what else the, the communication is there, right? That's most important. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I like that you bring up how we as women and people identify as women, lots of times associate breast tissue and breasts with sexuality. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a larger conversation, but we do. And so when we have a loss of one or, or both, and we have to either have nothing there, you know, a chest, or if we have reconstruction, we have to develop a new relationship with our body again, Mm -hmm. you know, through almost any cancer any cancer treatment, you know, as your body adjusts to Mm -hmm. this new form, this new place, right? You have to have a new 
relationship built. It is not immediate. And this is something that there's actually support groups for if you've had a reconstruction, right? Or if you have a mastectomy without reconstruction or just one reconstruction, right? Um, it is an important part of the healing process to understand that you might be angry at your body, right? Mm. You might feel all kinds of things, sadness. You might feel resentment. You might feel just it might feel foreign, mm-hmm. you know, to like, what, what do I need to rebuild this relationship with my body? And mm-hmm. so allowing that to happen in a time frame that your body needs it to happen, honestly, like we can't rush these relationships, mm-hmm. um, is really important into the, to the healing part of your process so that you can then feel comfortable to invite a partner into that space. Right. 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 Yeah. You know, I, as, as you sit here, so many things resonate. Um, I'm postmenopausal and those feelings alone are just enormous. And I really feel like sometimes I just don't know my body. I just don't even know who I am anymore. And, um, geez, but, um, if, 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 radiation or chemotherapy kicked you into early menopause Mm -hmm. women. I, um, I just, it's like vaginal dryness. I'm like, what in the world happened to me in my twenties? I mean, this was, you know what I mean? It's like, it was like egg, egg whites. And then all of a sudden the vaginal dryness and I can't imagine going through cancers and, and then not even knowing, first of all, you're dealing with cancer, right? You're dealing with all the treatment and how you're feeling. And then you're dealing with the other. There's so many layers of emotion. Mm -hmm. So help from you, help from people talking, you know, and, you know, I, sometimes my husband's not a talker, Yeah, you know what I mean? And tell him how I feel. So I can't, I can't even imagine, I mean, just how, what, how difficult your job is trying to help people. Well, you know, I think you bring up a really good point about how lots of times the treatment does take you into early menopause Mm -hmm. and, you know, that's just, and menopause in and of itself is a huge part of your life. And now you're dealing with it as a side effect to this other huge part of your life. Right. And so being able to know what to expect, like having more open conversations with maybe your pals who have gone through menopause, like, yeah, vaginal dryness is a thing. Like let's go to velvet box and pick up a, a silicone lubricant. Um, Mm -hmm. and let's understand arousal better. Let's understand that you can be aroused in your head, but your body is not responding in the way that you want it to. So you have to help it along. Right. And there's just nothing wrong with that. It's just a different sexual experience than maybe you had before. And the sooner that you can accept that you can feel aroused in your head, but maybe not in your body and that you can help your body along with some product, the easier it is to navigate that scenario versus being aroused in your head and then having vaginal dryness and going, gosh, I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm frustrated in Mm -hmm. this moment and not knowing what to do. Absolutely. You know, um, you brought up Velvet Box, which we adore. You, you, there, you work with them Mm -hmm. and, and, and I do as well, but I was recently, I was talking to Brandon, the fabulous, oh my, God, Brandon, my gosh, <laughs> the COO of Velvet Box. And Brandon um, was talking to me. I was telling him just about the vaginal dryness and how difficult this is. So I'm talking to 
people, uh, this, well, there is a point here, but we were talking about lubricants and I said, yeah. ah, that's the problem. I can't find one that doesn't make me feel like I have, um, oh gosh, what am I trying to say? I have uh, an infection. Okay. Oh, gotcha. All right. Mm -hmm. So he's like, well, you're using the wrong one. Yes. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm using, uh -uh, I'm using KY from the drugstore. And so, uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, mm-hmm. He says, I don't have a vagina, but I'm telling you mm -hmm. this, you know, th there was a pH issue. Yeah. And so he, he fixed me. He really did. He, yeah. there was one that was very natural mm -hmm. and he was telling me that some, some people can use some type and I had no idea the education that you all provide of having, I'm just blown away, but yeah. isn't that amazing? But it's true, right? Can, and you, the things that you can and cannot put in your body. Yeah. And it's really important to have a, a good education about the fact that there are many types of lubricants. It's, you know, it, and it's not to get complicated, but there's water-based there's, you mm -hmm. know, um, mixed where it's water and silicone and all silicone based. And then they, you've got oil base, which really people don't use much anymore, but oil based and then flavored and all of the sure. things. And so understanding what's going to be a best fit for your body, especially when you're going through all of these traumatic treatments is going to be something that you can get help with. And exactly. that's something that you can get help with from a place, you know, like velvet box where they're really educated on lubricants. So you don't have to wade through, you know, non-helpful information on the internet about lubricants, no right? Yeah. And it's just one of those things where do yourself a favor, make it easier, get help in this area where somebody can just give you a right recommendation. Absolutely. And um, I'm, I am going to have Celeste talk about this for just a second because we're, we're going to hit on this. Um, I, uh, the purity syndrome, mm -hmm. the purity culture. Yes. I can't even say it, but um, that is where I'm from. Yes. That is a definitely where I'm from. The the generation, um, now we don't know if it's generation, you can explain that to me, but I was like, oh my gosh, if I go in, if I go in a place like that, people may think poorly of me. If I do a podcast on that, blah, blah, blah. Right. No, that's not true. I'm here to educate and they are too. So, yeah. so it, give us a couple of minutes of the purity culture. Yeah. So it's more my Look favorite at, she subject. Smiles. <laughs> she talks about her daughters in the purity culture. She just lights up. I know. It's, um, it's just one of my favorite things to talk about because, um, once you can understand how those negative sex messages you got growing up affect your current life as an adult, then actually sex gets so much better. So as a, as a cliff notes version, purity culture is this idea that so many of us, including myself and you, Tiffany, were raised with either very little or actually very negative sex messaging or sex education. And so when you start getting sexually active or being sexually active in any way, either, you know, penetrative sex or oral sex or whatever, um, you may have large feelings of guilt or shame, more importantly. Um, and you have internalize the idea that sex is dangerous because a lot of us who grew up in purity culture were told that you're going to get pregnant or you're going to get an STI or nobody's going to love you. If you mm -hmm. have sex before you're married, you're going to be unwanted or things like that. And so your body just internalizes those message messages and does everything it can to keep you safe from this idea of sex that your body, not necessarily you logically, but your body thinks is unsafe. And so things like just walking into maybe the velvet box feels uncomfortable mm -hmm. for your body because your body has internalized those negative sex messages from growing up or things like talking about sex with your partner or even having sex or having sex with the lights on. There's myriad ways in which mm -hmm. purity culture 
affects the way we show up in our sex life mm-hmm. and our sexuality. Oh my goodness. And, and I'm sure you've had clients that's from that culture. Oh, absolutely. I would say 70%. That, that, um, that have cancer or recovering from cancer. Oh, right, right, right. Yes. Oh my starry day. I mean, I mean, I, now let me ask you this. My (laughs) husband did not come from that culture. We've had conversations about grace. Sure. (laughs) How do you, if cancer or no cancer at all, I mean, how do you deal with that culture when you have one, did are men from that culture too? Sure. Yeah. Oh. It affects women a little bit more because yeah. we were given the messages more explicitly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, I was definitely. And again, I grew up in a Catholic home and you yeah. didn't do that. <laughs> you know, it was not. And, and I remember the sex talk was a couple minutes, maybe, maybe. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot though. But <laughs> <laughs> that would be a lot. That's not enough. That's not enough. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so, so back to, to bring it to the cancer, bring in that from that culture of it's not, and then having to work harder for it. Yes. You know? Yes. I mean, and so lots, one of the common messages that you get growing up in purity culture is that, um, sex is obligatory for women. Like it is something that you have to do in order to please a male partner. And so if you're from that generation of obligatory sex, right. Um, and then you get cancer and now you have no drive or you have no arousal or sex is painful and you're trying to push through these feelings, it can be really traumatic. Mm-hmm. And so deconstructing that I, that idea that sex is something you are obliged to do or are responsible for to do for your male partner can be very beneficial as you're trying to you know, deal with these new ways in which you're experiencing sex and sexuality. So deconstructing those messages and understanding that that's not actually true for you and your body um, can be helpful in setting your own boundaries of what you will um, explore and what you don't want to explore in this Mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. So making people feel comfortable Mm -hmm. and, you know, I mean, after meeting you, you've helped me. I'm not there. I'm not there, but I'm, you've helped me a lot. And I think, uh, you know, coming from that being 56 and then now full blown, well, post menopause, you know, great sure. post. I feel like they're out. They just go ahead and put you out in the pasture, but that's not true. Yeah. That's not true at all. So you've helped so much and I can imagine that you help so many people. I'm just, oh, you're good, so kind. Good, I hope know. so. <laughs> oh, I know. So I know. So, okay. So we're, we are supporting breast cancer awareness, but this, this isn't the only type of cancer that we're dealing with, right? Right. What are some other types that you have dealt with that you can help my audience? Yeah. Well, to be honest, Tiffany, any, any time that you go through cancer diagnosis and treatment, any time you go through cancer diagnosis and treatment, it can disrupt your kind of normalized sexual experience because, um, chemotherapy, regardless of where your cancer is, can put you into, you know, pre, can put you into menopause early, mm-hmm. um, chemotherapy, radiation, all of the t- types of treatments, the tamoxifen, the, all of the things that um, affect your hormones or possibly could affect your hormones. Any any cancer, mm-hmm. the treatment for it 
can affect your sex life, but kind of specifically gynecological cancers, you know, if you're having a hysterectomy possibly, or if you're, um, or like a full hysterectomy where you're losing your ovaries, or, um, maybe you have prostate cancer, which is very common. And now you, you are experiencing erectile dysfunction, which eight out of 10 people with prostate cancer do experience erectile dysfunction and erectile dysfunction is not just the inability to get an erection. It is the inability to get or keep an erection, which I think is really important to define because sometimes people get frustrated like, well, I can get an erection, but I just can't keep it or keep it long enough or make it hard enough for mm-hmm. penetrative sex. So, you know, things like prostate cancer, um, is, is something we need to talk about too, because it does affect, um, a penis owner's ability to possibly have an erection, but something that lots of people don't know about ED or erectile dysfunction is that you can still have an orgasm, even if you don't have an erection, or if you have an erection, but can't keep an erection, there's things like penis pumps Mm -hmm. or C rings that can help you keep that erection longer. And so there are, you know, just like vaginal dryness, there's lubricants out there that can really help. There's lots of things that can really help with ED that we, that are not medicine, you know, and there's certainly medicine too that can help. But if you want to try some of these other behavioral things, products, there's things that can help with ED. If you want to try those first, Mm -hmm. you know, getting or keeping an erection. Right. Because, um, a few weeks ago I was on a trip and with, uh, several couples my age group and well, all the women were saying the same thing and all the men were saying the same things. Well, they actually, the men weren't even saying it, but the women were saying it about their husband. <laughs> about their- <laughs> Not about, but in reg- in relationship sure, to. But sure. um, it was all the same thing. We're all in that same age group, but mm-hmm. um, just like they won't talk about it. And um, it's not, and, and there's the pill, the shots. And, you know, my husband has heart issues. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's, yeah. um, I went, I was talking to Brandon at Velvet Box about it and, and he was saying there's ways around it. And I didn't yeah. realize, of I course, know. remember where I'm from, everyone, purity. So I didn't realize that yes. there was things that you could do behaviorally, like you said, mm-hmm. for men. So, yeah. I mean, yes, I mean, it's not the end. It, it, you, and I would assume with men as well, with prostate cancer, they do. They're thank goodness they, thank goodness they survived. But yeah, I mean that's a lot of to me. And please correct me if I'm being correct incorrect here. But men, a lot. My husband's yeah. ego is is tied up into his sexuality. Yeah, and that's because society has made it that way, right? That's not thank his, you. That's right. not his fault, right? right. Society, <laughs> like you know erects, you know, huge phallic symbols uh, exactly <laughs> as a, as a statement to masculinity. And so, yes, it is one of those things that can really affect your psyche. It can affect your, um, ability to initiate sex because you're nervous. And will I get an erection or not? But going back to focusing on your words, what do you want to feel? And let's figure out the behaviors that can help you feel those things. And so if it is, I want to feel pleasure, there's lots of ways to experience pleasure. Even if you don't get an erection, you can even experience orgasm. It might not be penetrative pleasure, but Mm -hmm. you could probably and possibly still have an orgasm even without um, penetration. So there's just lots of different options out there for sure. Well, it's, it's so much work to be done. 
so much, right? <laughs> yeah. So much work. Well, we're chipping away we're at chipping. it. Like conversations, <laughs> conversations are really helpful and just opening up the idea that there's more options out there than just, okay, I guess I'm done with sex mm-hmm. for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. right? There's just more options out there. Tell us a little more about your practice and how you support and work with the Velvet Box, Marcel and Brandon, that whole group. Yeah. Tell us how, a little bit about that. Sure. So I have a practice here in Fort Worth, but I see all of my clients virtually. So I have clients around, really around the world, um, which is exciting. And my work is specific to helping individuals and partners um, find more connection and pleasure in their sex life. I am a behaviorist. And so my work looks a little bit different than therapy in that we're going to specifically talk about what you're doing in your sex life. And I'm going to give you specific activities to help, you know, with whatever is going on, low libido, low arousal, painful intercourse, miscommunication, non-education, all of those things are things that I work with. And so after about an hour on zoom with my clients, I'll follow up with an email and say, okay, here's the thing we talked about. Here's the things I want you to try. Sometimes they're sex activities. Sometimes they're just communication activities. Sometimes they're journaling, um, but it is very action oriented. And so um, I want to give people a path that they can explore on their own. Um, and then I want to give people accountability so, because I think that's what's missing when we're talking about these really vulnerable subjects is I can weasel my way out. I can figure out how to get out of most things. But if I know that Celeste is going to check in on me in a month or whatever, um, maybe I'll get vulnerable and try that sex activity or get vulnerable and have that conversation with my partner. Um, and so that's how I work with clients individually. I also teach courses. I teach classes, um, courses, webinars for the Velvet Box. Um, right now you can purchase them um, or purchase bundles of them so you can watch them on your own time. And um, I also teach courses on my own uh, for people or for um, uh, organizations. Sometimes I'll go into churches or to um, women's groups, just sure. all kinds of places because we're just not having enough good conversations about this thing mm-hmm. that 99% of people either do or want to be doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that with uh, my friends that I was with from Rage from Age, from age 56 to 70, and um, we were talking about this and, and the set, my 70 year old friend, she just said, this was not, this, this was not even an option to talk about yeah. when I was, when I was even your age, Tiffany, mm-hmm. like, and it just how far it's come. And she has more, information and can give us more guidance than any of us, you know, and that she was willing to open and talk about. It was just amazing. amazing. You know? That is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So tell us how we can find you. Yeah. So you can find me at drcelesteholbrook.com. That's drcelesteholbrook.com where you can set up a call if you're just curious about, you know, what services I can provide. Um, and you can also find me on social media at drcelesteholbrook.com or you can head over to the velvet box at the and click on education and you can see all the classes that I teach there. So it's just something that you can kind of do as a date night mm-hmm. or on your own to educate yourself in this, in the privacy and the comfort of your own home and get more information about all kinds of things like, you know, vaginas, penises, G-spots, clitorises, all the, all the things you can get educated on in a safe, friendly, approachable way. Right. And you all have to go to her Instagram because I get (laughs) such great information. I really do. You give me great information and you make me laugh my ass off because that's the (laughs) nice. 
nicest compliment. Oh <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm dying. I remember, what was it, last Friday? I was just like, okay, it was a very good song, and she was drumming. You go to her Instagram and I follow know. her. She was drumming. She was drumming, and you can just can imagine what she was drumming with. So yes. there you go. Yes, but I just love, <laughs> love talking to you every time. Oh. And you know what? What's your the gift that you're giving to so many survivors? And you're thriving, everyone. That's yeah. what we want you to do. We don't want you just to survive. We want you we to thrive. thrive in any area of your life. But thank goodness we have these breast cancer survivors and they're working so hard. Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And we hope that we've helped this month, everyone. And thank you all so much for listening to me. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Tiffany C. Blackman. And hey, we are trying to get up in that. Uh, well, we're getting there. These conversations in the oh, uh, podcast world, Spotify and Apple. So if you would go rate, review, please. Give us a comment what you'd like to hear. And everyone, thank you for listening and keep being fabulous. Bye.